Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to year three of the Neil World Order podcast. Um, I took a couple weeks off, um, originally not intentionally, uh, just kind of worked out that way. Uh, mental health things, um, squeezed a little vacation in there. Um, and and I, I, I told myself uh, this year... And it may result in a few less episodes here and there that I was going to not force myself, I guess, to do an episode if I just wasn't feeling it. I know there's been times where I've put an episode out and I feel like I just cashed it in, that I just, you know, bantered about whatever. I didn't do any real preparation. I didn't really have anything good to talk about. And maybe I never do. I don't know. But uh, that was one of the things... I wanted to do differently starting this off, so um, yeah, to, to be crazy that I have completed two years of doing this, um, it, it, it's kind of surreal, if I'm being honest, this isn't something, I, I didn't think this would be as successful as, as it has uh, kind of been, you know, I think we've been very fortunate, and I say we because this doesn't happen without all the listeners uh, who give feedback, who buy the merch, who send, uh, you know, me funny articles and things to share on here, a lot of which I do. Um, I try to give credit where uh, credit is due, you know, and I, I try to do my best to give you something worth listening to every week. Um, maybe I do, maybe I don't, you know, but um, so, you know, whew. Over a hundred plus episodes later, here here we are. You know, honestly, when I started this, I I thought I'd get bored. You know, I, and I and I won't lie. Like I said, you know, some weeks are hard, uh, others are easy. I think uh, it actually feels good to be sitting in the chair down here, and doing this after a couple weeks off. I think I kind of got to focus, kind of think, um, you know, and just decide what I wanted to talk about. You know, and, you know, there's, I feel like there's been episodes where I struggle or I'm kind of like, I don't know, I'm not really feeling whatever the topic is. Other weeks, the nonsense just flows out of my mouth like diarrhea after Taco Bell. But, um, you know, that's what we're all about here. And, uh, you know, it's funny, and uh, I thought this was the issue. Uh, A couple of, the last episode, I switched to using uh, this awesome Mac laptop Kai had bought, and I recorded the whole episode with the mixer off after spending all these hours, well, not hours, but spending some time setting it up and making sure all the cords are right and this and that, only to find out tonight when I go through and turn it on that the little device that's between the mixer and the laptop doesn't work right with the mixer. The device works. It's just, I just don't think it's compatible with audio. So I believe this is actually just being recorded off the Mac internal mic, which is actually pretty impressive because the sound quality was actually pretty good. It's a little low, but it's still pretty good. Um, so I was thinking, I was like, <clears throat> what does, what do I want to do in year three? Um, you know, I think I want to step outside my comfort zone more, perhaps, uh, do more on location setups like we did with, uh, Craig and Dan. Um, I think 
I have some people in mind that can make for some fun and interesting episodes. You know, I think once the basement and everything gets worked out down here, which is a slow work in progress, and I feel like for everything I think I accomplished, I screw three things up. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I want to get it all set up where we can have the remote guests on, like Scott, Andrew, Casey, a few other people I'm going to reach out to. But, you know, I, I really want to try some new things. Uh, and I'm sure some of it will work, some of it won't. Um, and I think that's kind of how this whole thing has been since I started. Um, you know, I haven't, I didn't, I didn't really plan this. I just kind of bought some stuff and thought, plug and play. I'll turn it on and I'll just talk about whatever's on my mind. And the first couple episodes, it worked, but then slowly but surely I realized, okay, there has to be some structure to it. And, and I promise there is a tiny bit of structure to this. Like I'm actually working off two different, um, well, I'm using the recording Mac and I have two different devices serving as teleprompter tonight because originally this episode, a lot of this was from a couple weeks ago and now there's some new stuff. So I have like two things going that I'm going to alternate back and forth between. This should make for really interesting content. Uh, football. Back this week. Uh, college football, pro football, I believe, kicks off this coming Thursday. Tennessee with a big win over Ball State at home. I mean, you don't really get crazy about beating Ball State. Interesting thing about Ball State, did you know... And this is because the game was a blowout, so they always share random things with you. Ball State was founded by the Ball Brothers, who, or Ball Family or whatever. Those are the people that made the mason jars. You know, they say Ball on them. But yeah, that's the lineage there. Never knew that before, and they're out of somewhere in uh, Muncie, Indiana. That's where they're from, which wasn't aware of that either. I, I was thinking they were Indianapolis, but same difference. I believe Ball State is also the alma mater of uh, Scott's favorite late-night talk show person, uh, David Letterman. But anyways, so <clears throat> if we we saw the speech the other night, I watched some recaps of it. Uh, I was watching the Tennessee football game and wasn't about to... Um, I don't, I, I don't even know where to start with that. I think we look at it, you know, if we learned anything from it, um, the presidential address, I mean, I guess he's the president, it, that I feel like the, the Democrats and the liberals, they're no longer really hiding their disdain for anyone who disagrees with their madness. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time, you know, you have the guy who is the face of a party, Biden, or ideology, an ideology and party that supported and funded, bailed out people across the country who looted, destroyed, set fires to cities, private businesses, uh, people who attacked municipalities, police pre precincts. People who, in all, all in all, fail to observe the law, and you know they don't they don't follow law and order. They're under some misguided idea that they are oppressed. 
you know, these are the same people who told parents to sit down and shut up when it came to their children's education. They're the people who closed your businesses, forced you to wear masks for a virus that 98% of us wouldn't even be phased by. Um, they concocted this idea that people would need to be guinea pigs in a failed science experiment that has seen people all over this country drop dead from uncertain causes. Um, if you follow their madness, or if you choose to not follow their madness, I apologize, they want to call you an extremist. A threat to this democracy they're trying to tell you still exists. For what it's worth, our democracy is worthless. It's been that way for years. Um, they kind of want you, they don't kind of, they want you to see their vision and their ideas only. You know, they assure you that you, you don't need to think for yourself. But they don't tell you that exactly. They kind of talk all around it, but that's essentially what they're saying. You know, and, and this whole address or whatever you want to call it, they presented Creepy Joe in this eerie red light and backdrop. It totally reeked of Nazi and satanic propaganda. Um, it, it was a very... I think the intention was clear. That's my personal take on it. Uh, people will say, you know, oh, they want to walk it back. Or no, the intention was clear. You know, and Joe laid out who he says is the bad guys and who he believes are the bad guys. You know, and anytime someone tries to tell me how I should think, I usually quit listening and ask myself, what is it they don't want me to know? You know, and, and I feel like what this whole presentation was or storytelling so to speak they need you to believe biden is some sort of hero you know that he i know it's laughable because he's a fucking clown he can't even ride a bike fighting injustice against the evil magas you know which is something they created there isn't a maga party i don't think anyone calls themselves the maga party i think some of us uh conservatives say it in jest to just you know poke the bear at the silly liberals but uh in Biden's own words, he once described Antifa as an idea. Said it wasn't something physical. You know, they're not the people that destroyed Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, and all these other places. You know, they're an idea, but MAGA is real, and they're a threat to democracy. You know, and I'm of the opinion that ideas should always be welcome in this country. Any idea. You know, that's part of our freedom, our liberty... But liberals hate freedom. They lust for control and conformity. Anyone who fights against that is bad, and they see you as a threat. So what you have now, you have Hero Joe fighting the bad guys, so to speak. You know, and, and in my theory in the story, just because, you know, it's all, I don't know. Eventually Joe is taken out. That's what I see happening. And they're going to sell you this idea that it was the evil bad MAGAs who did it. And why would they do that? Because it it creates a martyr. It gives the libs a rallying cry. And I know that sounds insane, but I can tell you right now, the Democrats were very happy about the Supreme Court doing overturning the whole Roe v. Wade thing. It gave them something to run on, something to talk about. If you watch all the political ads for anybody in the midterm elections, on the Democrat side, that's what they're talking about. Because before that, they couldn't, they couldn't, you know, there was nothing. I mean, they can't say they've done anything good for the country because they didn't. They literally passed something called the Inflation Reduction Act, 
which is eventually going to long-term raise and increase inflation. So there's no good things to talk about. So they need this. They need something bad to happen, you know, because they don't follow a set core of normalized beliefs like we all do or most normal people do. And they're attacking every institution in this country. You know, they had their would-be hero Joe. He stood in front of Independence Hall and then proceeded to divide the country. You know, like I said, with the whole satanic uh, backdrop thing going on. I talked about this on Facebook uh, I honestly, the closest thing I could compare it to was uh, many years ago seeing Marilyn Manson in concert and his performance of the song Antichrist Superstar, which is a great analogy for the Democrats and Joe Biden. And if you haven't seen the live performance of the song, YouTube Marilyn Manson Antichrist Superstar, watch the video, listen to the song. You will see how similar this whole thing is. Um, And like I said, he's almost like a villain you know, from a movie, and it's interesting, because I was thinking about movies and stuff, you know, uh, me and a guy at work were talking about, you know, like, there's not a lot of movies right now, so I was like, eh, maybe it's just me, maybe, maybe the interest, my interest in film and Hollywood is at a low, so I looked it up, and did you know, they are making, they, this last year, they made the last two, I think since 2018, 50% less films are being made. So what happened to all those writers and producers? We know what happens to the actors. Sure, some of them do Netflix shows or they just have scandals or whatever. But I have this theory that a lot of those writers and producers, they actually write and produce for the mainstream media now. And they're creating news, which is all just poorly written fiction anyways. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it. You know, and it always goes back to that's the issue we face is, you know, we have to be willing to accept that the things do not happen and exist in the manner in which you were taught to believe they did. And I think that's a big struggle for a lot of people. I know eventually when it got like that in my head and I was like, whoa, you know, the whole kind of matrix thing. And I was like, what? No, that, you know, and the more and more you go down these rabbit holes, you're like, wow. You know, it's kind of realizing that conspiracy theories really aren't conspiracies. You know, and why do you think all these people want to control your thinking for you? It's so you don't think about these things, so you don't look into these things. You know, because if you think for yourself, you'll see through all the lies and not see how they want to indoctrinate the citizens of this country into mindless liberal zombies operating in an electric car cashless society. I think... Last night's presentation was the ultimate proof that they aren't even really trying to hide it anymore. And that's because they think you're all stupid. Um, You know, they love tossing out words like extremist, conspiracy, you know, and they talk about these things to control your opinion on it. When in reality, pretty much every piece of information once labeled as conspiracy or misinformation is truth or has actually happened. I mean, take even something as simple as, remember, ivermectin, you know, the horse medicine, that people should never take it. Well, if you go on the CDC website now, it's actually listed as one of the many things that can be used to treat COVID, which is weird because I thought, yeah, about that. So, you know, that's that's my take on that speech. I think they're going to... I think things get even a little more weird before they start to get better. 
I just think you got to be smart. you got to be paying attention. Hopefully you have lots of ammunition. Uh, I think at some point you're going to need it. But, um, yeah, that's my spiel on that. So, speaking of crash and burning, uh, very bad segue. So, a few weeks ago, my cousin had posted this story about uh, something that I hadn't thought about in ages. Uh, <clears throat> I was living in Michigan at the time. It would have been um, August 16th, 1987, uh, shortly before 9 p.m. A plane had taken off from Detroit, Detroit's Metro Airport, which is like, I, there used to be two airports in Detroit. It used to be Detroit City and Detroit Metro. I think City's closed. It was a very small airport, sketchy, but whatever. It was leaving Detroit Metro and headed to Phoenix. It was Northwest Flight 255, and unfortunately it didn't make it very far. Flight 255, from everything I've researched and read, never got higher than about 50 feet before striking a light post in the Avis rental car parking lot, and then striking the roof of Avis, and finally crashing onto Middle Belt Road, part of, I believe it was part of I-75 or I-696. I was 12 years old at the time. I remember seeing it come across the TV that night as they interrupted whatever it was I was watching. Um, I think it was initially believed that all passengers and crew were killed, mainly to do, mainly due to just like the complete destruction and fire engulfing the area and, you know, what I guess was left or not left of the plane. Like I said, it literally like went right down on the interstate, like right before uh, overpass. Um, and then as uh, two of the firemen on the ground were searching through rubble, looking for any signs of life, um, one of them heard a groaning, and they began sifting through the wreckage and kept finding uh, only deceased passengers, unfortunately, until one of them saw an arm move from under an overturned seat. And that arm would belong to four-year-old Cecilia Sheehan of Tempe, Arizona. She was found not far from the bodies of her mother, father, and older brother. Sheehan had a skull fracture, severe burns, but would be called the miracle baby by the local and national news. Uh, she would be the sole survivor of Flight 255, as 154 others perished, that's passengers and crew, as well as two motorists who were on the middle belt section of it was actually I-94, I apologize. Which, imagine that's the damnedest thing. You're just driving on the interstate and here's a fucking plane. That Oh, man. Uh, this, so anyways, this story would dominate the headlines in the metro Detroit area into the winter as officials tried to piece together the events that led to the crash. Uh, ultimately, I believe the conclusion from the NSA was pilot error as it was determined that the wing flaps had not been adjusted or set correctly and it, thus it prevented the aircraft from gaining altitude and result, resulting in all the deaths, but uh, she and the family members of those lost um, is kind of an interesting thing I saw in a little documentary online. They gather almost every year since the events and remember their loved ones. They actually had a memorial constructed uh, where at, originally where every fr flight leaving Detroit Metro could see it, uh, you know, it, it was it wasn't visible from the interstate, but flights. You know, the pilots used to talk about and passion how they could see it. And then, unfortunately, a few years ago, a bunch of pine trees were planted in the area all around, obstructing the view. And 
in the documentary, they said no one is really sure who is responsible for the trees. But um, one of the other interesting takeaways from this is the families would spend years changing things about aviation and, you know, the aftermath of accidents. They worked to create a policy, a policy where the names of those passengers and crashes are not released to the public immediately. Um, you know, unfortunately, after the crash of Flight 255, some of the families told stories of being contacted between by lawyers within hours of the tragedy because, you know, not long after the crash, Northwest Airlines had released the passenger list, um, like, with you know, very shortly after the accident, which is unheard of now, but back then, you know, wasn't seen as anything. Uh, they also worked to make sure takeoff checklists are a must for commercial aircraft. Part of the findings in the crash of 255 was that the pilots, both seasoned vets, did not complete the checklist before takeoff at the time, and there, unfortunately back in that time there was no accountability for failing to do so. Uh, in the years after, settlements were reached and over 100 lawsuits filed by families of the deceased. The amounts were never made public record, but I would guess this would play a huge part in Northwest Airlines. Some of you are probably like, who? Um, eventually being bought and merged with Delta, who has, Delta has since retired 255 from its flight number catalog. Uh, as for the lone survivor, Cecilia Sheehan, uh, she has led and kept a low-profile life. She went to live with grandparents in Alabama and now resides with her family and daughter in Pennsylvania. Interesting thing about her, she only gave one interview some years ago. I believe it was 2011. That was the, docu the documentary I found. And it was a documentary based around soul survivor, lone survivors of tragedies titled Soul Survivor. Other than that, she has very little social media presence and would seem has, for lack of a better word, has been able to live a somewhat normal life. Uh, in her interview for the documentary, that's a mouthful, she did say that there isn't a day she doesn't think about Flight 255. She said she stays in touch with firefighter John Theed, who was the person on the ground who found her that night that he even attended her wedding. Um, Sheehan has said she has no recollection of the events of that tragic night, just recalls being in the uh, hospital. And it, it was I found it kind of interesting because in the documentary, you know, the families of um, all the deceased, you know, they kind of celebrate the life of Sheehan, but they... I, from what I saw, none of them have ever met her, had a chance to talk with her. I think she's just kind of, you know, went and lived her own life. And obviously, you know, a lot of these people were based out of Arizona um, or, you know, a connecting flight going elsewhere. But it, it was really interesting. You know, it was something uh, before I saw the article that I hadn't thought about in forever, you know. And I think when that happened, that played into my continued fear of flying, um, which, you know, the, seeing something like that happen close to where you live, and then, like I said, you see it on TV every day, and to be like, okay, wow. Uh, you know, I, I remember for years, anytime I was in a plane and would take off, I would think about this, you know, air tragedy. 
But, uh, yeah, I know that seems kind of random. You know, when I originally was putting this episode together, that was um, right around the anniversary of this, and I just thought it was something interesting to uh, share share with you guys. Maybe you find it interesting, maybe you won't. Um, so I know another thing I've always talked about in the past, I know Scott and I talked a little about it on our episode, which last month got a thousand downloads so thank you to everyone who wanted to listen to the carrying your love with me episode it's i think it's still the episode i like the most uh being able to do that with scott and bailey and kai and just uh drink a bottle of whiskey and chat for almost three hours was amazing and we're definitely going to have to do it again Uh, so anyways we talked in the past about uh my summers working my summer's in college working at Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, a place I love, a place I hold very dear. Uh, you know, obviously the place where I met Scott and our love affair, I mean, I mean our friendship began. Um, so at Cedar Point, they have a ride called the Giant Wheel, which is, it's a 145-foot tall Ferris wheel. Uh, apparently, a few weeks ago, two people were arrested for having sex in one of the cabins on the Ferris wheel. And the, this one has, like, those fully enclosed ones because, you know, it's a huge-ass Ferris wheel. Um, it was a couple, the couple, it was a woman from Ohio, and her boyfriend apparently was from Florida. They initially denied they were fucking. She said she dropped her pack of cigarettes, and her boyfriend was helping her pick them up. And that she was wearing shorts under her dress, which is a weird explanation. This is literally coming from the police board. Um, Upon more questioning and being told the witnesses were juveniles, the couple kind of confessed. And uh, they ended up were brought up on indecency misdemeanor charges in Sandusky. Uh, You know, I laughed about this because said, having spent three summers in the park, I assure you these are not the first or the last people to have sex in the park. Um, like Scott said, when I share this on Facebook, we stared, we stayed in a dorm, not very far from the giant wheel. You could hear the, you know, the, the spiels of the operators from the giant wheel and from there were, I think, I believe it was the wildcat and then there was the train people and something else was right there. But, um, our dorm then was known as Cedars, which thankfully has been knocked down as it was a place you almost had to experience to understand. Like, it was sketchy from the outside. Um, my first summer, I was 21, uh, 1997, and me and Dana were there. We met Scott. He had his own roommate at the time. But there were usually at least two people, up to four in a room, um, not counting who someone brought home that night. Um you know, and it was kind of like the dorms were set up. It was pretty much beds, maybe some dressers. You know, there was like a bathroom, one or two bathrooms per floor. Uh, the showers were located. I'll get to that. Um, anyways, but like any dorm, they had rules. You know, only so much alcohol per person, only so many guests per person, other stuff, etc. But Cedars, honestly, it was a free-for-all. Um what we would learn that summer and the next is that Cedars was also a den for um, the gay employees. And we're not talking just your average run-of-the-mill homosexual American. We're talking like all-out 2022-style gays 
And this was 1997. So the world was a little bit of a different place. You know, I was from Tennessee. Dana was from central northern Michigan. Scott was an 18-year-old kid from West Virginia. Let's just say there were some eye-opening eye-opening experiences and types of people um, you could easily say we weren't used to being around and weren't exactly comfortable around. Um, You know, and a lot of people probably don't know or know that it doesn't even matter, but Cedar Point, at least then, was a huge summer employment spot for LGBTQ, whatever. They were just gay back then. Um, and that's all fine and dandy, I'll be honest. Um, I hadn't been around a lot of those people uh, until this, but I also didn't care. Um, but, you know, the unfortunate part of dorms, especially a big one like Cedars, was community bathrooms and showers. If you worked a late shift and, let's say, maybe went to shower after 10 p.m., there's a chance you may have walked in on some pretty unholy shit. Yet, there were these shower curtains and things and stuff, but, I mean, at our ages, you're smart enough to understand what was happening. Um, We would often joke about it and call it power hour in the cedar shower. Uh, Ultimately, we were fortunate enough to have conveniently placed room each year. The second year, it was on purpose. But uh, the dorm is near a marina, and the marina has what they called a boathouse, which was like this super nice locker room, showers set up, individual, um, and they're for the boat marina guests, but it's always open. Um, We learned right away that this was the place to shower in a completely sodomy-free environment. Um, Technically, employees were, it was a big no-no to not, to use the boathouse, you know, as it was for guests. But with our room on the second floor near an exit that fed right into the boathouse, and the following year we took a room all the way at the end of the hallway by the stairs so we could sneak people, alcohol, you name it, up into the room as well as get to the boathouse. Um, it, it was pretty awesome, you know. And uh, I honestly, I think I might have only in three summers, well, two summers I stayed in Cedars. The third summer I stayed off, off-site. Um, I think I might have used that shower twice maybe. Always went to the boathouse, you know, and any given night as you walk through the park after hours, which is cool that we were allowed to do because you kind of would come through the parking lot. You had to come through the park. So there was always technically, you know, where employees could go through like a security entrance where they, your name tag was pretty much like a pass with your, you know, they scan it, you're active, you go, or if you're going between, uh, I don't know, an employee after hours employee event or one of the other dorms, you know, where the females were, one of the uh, co-ed dorms, you know, you're, you're usually walking through the park after hours, which, you know, it was just kind of, I always thought it was a cool thing, but you could happen on almost anything <laughs> walking that park after hours. Drunk fools, um, people doing, you know, their business here, there, wherever. Uh, I think there were plenty of times Scott, myself, Robert, whoever uh, threw up somewhere in a nice flower bed on the midway, wherever. And I can say the general public has no idea the amount of drinking that goes on by employees in the summer at Cedar Point. It's a, a wild, fun time. 
you know, but you may, see, like I said, you may see people going at it at the beaches, the bushes, near a ride, a merch shop, you name it. I, I can't even fathom the stories that uh, the people who worked in Cedar Point security or on their little police force could tell. And it would honestly be awesome to have uh, someone come on the show who actually works security. So any of my uh, Cedar Point alum listeners, if you know anyone, send them my way. I would love to have them on hear the crazy shit, um, you know, they, they might have seen I. But honestly, weird, freaky stuff aside, those summers were awesome. Um, honestly, to be that carefree and alive again. You know, I was sitting here the other day and I was thinking, wow, you know, to think my last summer there was almost 25 years ago. Like, that's a whole lifetime almost. But, um, yeah. That was, you know, what can I say? But in, I, it's still a great place to go, take your family, whatever. It's safe, it's clean. But I'm just like anything. There's a lot of cool things, you know, maybe some crazy things that go on behind the scenes. I bet Disney's worse. Um, so as we take another, we're, we're to the musical journey of the show. Um, like I said, this was kind of like two episodes in one. I, I thought... A few weeks ago, I was just sitting outside, listening to music one night, and I was thinking about how great Glenn Campbell was, as the original title for this episode was uh, Gentle on My Mind. It's since evolved into Antichrist Superstar, which shows my eclectical music taste, and just literally, it's no better explanation than how the mind of Neil works. Um, Glenn Campbell passed away in 2017. He was 81 years old. He had announced uh, in 2016 that he'd been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, over his 50-year career, Campbell sold over 45 million, uh, 45 million records. He was nominated for an Academy Award. He'd won 10 Grammys, countless ACM, CMA awards, including Entertainment Entertainer of the Year, as well as becoming pretty much a household name throughout the 70s and 80s. Um, he had a collection of hits, you know, most artists only dream of. He was a television and film star. He kind of did it all. You know, and I think a lot of people, maybe if they think about Glenn Campbell, they think Rhinestone Cowboy. But I feel like there's so much more to his music than Rhinestone Cowboy. Um, He lived an adventurous life um, from his humble beginnings in Arkansas, where he learned to play the guitar at the age of four and was performing on radio stations by the age of six. To me, that's insane. Um, and the man was playing music until his last days. He dropped out of high school in 10th grade, which, you know, a lot of country artists, the same story. Um, this was to move to Houston and um, start working with his brothers. He was one of 12 children. He almost drowned once as a child as well. Uh, in the 60s, he had used his craft as, you know, his guitar playing and such to become a well-known studio musician. He actually played with the likes of the Beach Boys, Frank Sinatra, Ricky Nelson, Bobby Darin, Dean Martin, many others, and worked on their studio albums. He actually worked with Elvis, and the two were actually close friends, having uh, grown up with similar upbringings in the poor South. Um, He was a touring member of the Beach Boys, uh, 1964, 1965, and I honestly never knew this. Then in 1967, he practically became an overnight success with Gentle on My Mind, which in my theory, my my opinion is one of the greatest songs ever written. 
Um, it's a great song to relax, sip a little bourbon to, enjoy a quiet drive. It, it, it's just a beautiful song. Um, this song was followed by his biggest hit, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, and then The Wichita Lineman. All just great storytelling songs by someone who I think doesn't get the overall appreciation he probably deserves. Campbell was kind of a crossover artist, you know, at a time where these artists weren't so common. He touched all genres with his words and playing. Uh, he's a member of the Country Music Hall of Fame. He's received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Grammys. But strangely, he's yet to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which, okay, I know it has rock and roll, but Dolly Parton, other country artists are in there. Fucking Green Day is in there, and Green Day sucks. Um, so take a few moments, listen to some Glenn Campbell. Um, as always, you can thank me later. But folks, uh, that's all I got. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for your patience as I took a little bit of a sabbatical. Um, and your continued support as downloads did not slow down, even with me not putting out an episode for two weeks. So here's to the beginning of year three. Um, don't forget up. Don't forget to hit up the merch shop. Follow us on social media. And um, excited. Um, that's all I got tonight. Thanks, everyone. Have a great Labor Day weekend.